lad, Anthony Martial, uh, ever seen him play before? I don't think I watched the Arsenal-Monaco game last season, so I believe I've seen him play never before. Very good. Yeah, I, I had to remind myself, I did watch the Arsenal-Monaco game last season. So, uh, But, but, hmm, he's, he's either cost United 36 million or 58 million or 63 million or 197. No, no, not that one. Uh, worth every penny, though, after that wonder goal. What a moment from the young lad. I mean... I know it's sort of ridiculous, but in a way, he has already paid back his transfer fee because no one is ever going to forget that, ever. It was absolutely incredible. One of the great football moments of our lifetimes, I think, that goal. Yeah, I mean, just a, just a wonderful moment, leaving aside everything else surrounding the, the guy. It's 88th minute, United uh, just pegged back to 2-1, uh, scores an absolute... Wonder goal at the Stretford end uh, in front of the United fans against the old rivals uh, to seal a victory. It was uh, absolute bedlam in the stadium as well. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant moment. Of course, we've had those brilliant moments before, haven't we? So as Mark Lawrenson was keen to point out, uh, where is Frederico Makeda now? Uh, in the championship with Cardiff. I just think it's funny when people compare him to Makeda. Yeah, no, I know. It's You take two moments in time and say... That has any relevance. Of course, it has no relevance at all. I think the, the better point is that we know nothing about this player yet, but it's to take nothing away from this just uh, you know, amazing goal. And it suggested so much, didn't it? Just in that one moment, his ability to get the ball run at players without fear. Uh, and what a composed finish as well for a, a player who's who scored, what, his 12th goal in his career. It's just mind-boggling. And, and exa- it's exactly that. It's like... The the pure composure to be able to uh, to be able to finish that chance and and to like the skill to be able to carve out the chance and then the kind of quickness of thought and I don't know the the kind of indication of confidence because he's not had a good start to the season with Monaco you know he's uh, not hit a shot on target as the stats would do in the rounds so far this season not a bad start to his shots on target for the season well right yeah he actually he actually was finding it hard to get into the game I mean he came on what just after the hour or so and um, he, he played up front on the right and on the left um, and I guess it, he, that's the kind of player he is he did drift around and Fellaini was up front and then pushed him into midfield I did quite like the moment when uh, he came on and just kind of berated Fellaini and told him to get back in midfield. Uh, yeah, good, good, good job, young man. Um, yeah. But actually, after that, he found it very hard to get into the game in you know with any kind of rhythm, which is, which is fair enough. And United were actually on the back foot for quite a bit of that last half an hour or so, weren't they? As Liverpool kind of came into the game, um, but yeah, all, all forgotten in that one moment where he sent Skirtle yeah into a into a spin and and then just slotted it into the corner, which. Uh, which, of course, everyone um, suddenly recalled about 50 Thierry Henry goals where he's done exactly the same thing. He's not going to help himself there with a the comparison, is he? No. And, you know, it, it, he gets the Thierry Henry comparison all the time, obviously. Yeah. Is he black? Check. Did he play for Monaco? Check. Is he a young man? Check. Does he like to play somewhere across the forward line and come in from the, the left wing? Check. I do think there's a little bit more substance to this one, though, isn't there? There's oh, yeah, a no, is he French? <laughs> Check. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's the crucial thing. But there is, there's a sort of stylistic um, similarity, obviously, which was extremely evident with that, the way he took that goal. Um Alwyn Payne on Twitter saying that's the goal Danny Welbeck's trying to, been trying to score for five years. I was thinking, it's a tiny bit harsh. That is the goal that Danny Welbeck scored against West Bromwich. Just the stakes were a little lower at that time. I think the, the thing about the goal being super important 
is really relevant because it's not just the fact that it's on his debut in front of the Stretford end after all the kind of press coverage and pressure that came with that transfer, but it's also a moment where United desperately needed a goal because once again, we go 2-0 up against Liverpool and act like the game's yeah. over. Well, it, the, the funny thing was, uh, Van Hal said after the game that he enjoyed the first half more than the second, right? Which was just a comedy moment. <laughs> he's uh, he's just know, the wrong one, isn't he? And, he you know, it was just one of the worst halves of football I've witnessed for a very long time. And it was just so awful. You just want to block it out of your mind, don't you? And how a Van Hal can have enjoyed that more? Well, he enjoyed it more because United had complete control uh, and, and didn't in the second half when it actually became a bit more open. Um, and, and and that's the thing he doesn't like. It doesn't fill you full of kind of hope, does it, that United are going to get any better this season? And in fact, uh, only had three shots on target in the entire game. You know, uh, Martial's wonder goal, uh, Herrera's penalty, um, and Depay's... Depay? No, Blint's fine finish. There, Dutchman. I'm, I'm always mistaking these Dutchmen. Um, the, the thing about Van Gaal that I think people... People got very het up about that quote because that first half of football was, it was profound anti-football, right? It was the dullest kind of um, whatever the opposite of an advert is for the brand of football that we've been playing this season. It wasn't just United, of course. You know, Liverpool went there to defend against the United team containing no strikers. Yeah, but he changed it at halftime. He wasn't that happy. You know, if he was genuinely happy with it and he wanted us to keep playing like that, he would have carried, he would have kept things the same. But no, he realised that he, you know, that system needs Memphis or Mata or Herrera to create something. And Memphis just didn't look like he was on it at all. He looked like he wasn't going to create anything. And I, I kind of half expected him to pick Young from the start, actually, in that game. When when the rumours were going around that Flaney was up front, it kind of almost makes more sense. But Memphis had put in that really good crossing display with Holland in midweek. So you kind of think, well, maybe that, that will nudge Van Gaal's thinking in that direction. Uh, but obviously at halftime, he, he brought Young on because he wanted something different in that attack. Yeah, he did. I mean, Memphis found it very hard to get into the game. Young came in and he was direct and he, he got the ball and he ran at players. Um, he didn't manage to deliver a cross on target. Um, he did get an assist, although that was the pass to Anthony Martial. So I'm, I'm not quite sure I'm going to credit him with that one. He will get it in the record books, but hmm. He also uh, won the free kick as well. He did. The, he did. Uh, which was really and important. He, he actually didn't dive. For that free no, kick. Not no. at all. Although he did do the same thing with his body shape that he does when he dived. So for a second, I thought the ref wasn't going to give it because he kind it kind of looked like an Ashley Young dive, even though it wasn't one. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, you know, he was looking for it, wasn't he? He was. Um, but yeah, that that first half was just totally atrocious from an attacking perspective. Brilliant from a defensive perspective. Brilliant from an organisational perspective, but. My goodness, that was a long 45 minutes. And at the end of that 45 minutes, you know, I had to write something after the match and I was kind of planning uh, what the heck are we going to do with this season type article in my brain because halfway through that game, you're thinking, well, this is just this again and there's no sign of it changing. Um, And then in the end, it changed from some pretty clever work, some obviously some training groundwork. And it was notable in the first half that, all our set pieces went back to Blint. Even like our corners were getting knocked back to Blint and he was kind of hitting them in uh, outswingers from, from the left. Uh, so I don't know, there was obviously something that they'd identified. Uh, but then they that very well worked free kick, which really exploited uh, Liverpool's 
zonal marking system. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, bizarre, really, because almost every team in the country will put a player on the edge of the 18-yard area to clear any knockback. So uh, they followed United's three runners directly into the six-yard area. Um, so uh, let's credit uh, Van Hal with this one. Let's, you know, he said they worked it on, worked had it on the training ground, and perhaps they'd actually spotted something about Liverpool's defending from set pieces too. Certainly shouldn't have scored from that position, gotta say. But uh, you know, a beautiful finish from Blint as well. Just stroked it into the top corner. Mm, really, really nice. Not an easy one at all either. Like coming across him at, at, at some pace. Yeah, and and while we're talking about Blint, praise for his defensive performance as well. You know, Benteke, uh, that's the third or fourth big guy he's faced now, and really hasn't been exposed by it. I mean, the only time he's really been exposed was his uh, twice um, out of position for. Uh, in the games against Swansea a couple of weeks ago, but apart from that, that I mean, that was a he was really exposed there, um, and it was kind of the game you think, well, yeah, I've been expecting that to happen, but what's that, the sixth game of the season or something like that, and that's really the only one in which he hasn't looked comfortable. Games to come will be tougher, of course, and and maybe maybe we're we're speaking too soon if we say that he, he's actually looking pretty good there, and United feel like a a very good defensive unit at the moment. That's two weeks on from really not looking like a good defensive unit against Swansea, of course. But I think that there's a there's there's a couple of big differences. I mean, the the first thing I think this thing about the big man is is so crucial because this is this was the thing everyone was worried about. I was very concerned about Benteke against Blint. There was two things. One in the first half, it was weird because Benteke was not doing what Harry Kane had done, and he was kind of leaning towards Smalling's side, which seemed a very odd decision. Um, but then there was. The, that moment in the second half where they're both competing for a, a ball and it, Blint did exactly what he did to um, the Club Bruges centre-forward in the home leg of that game where he just used his brain to stand in the right position. So it doesn't matter if someone's stronger than you, if your centre of gravity's planted better than theirs, they're not going to knock you over, right? So that was he's just very smart. And the big difference between this game and a Swansea game, of course, in terms of that defensive unit, is De Gea's there. And... Well, yeah, yeah, of course, and um, and and uh, had a very fine performance as well. Pulled off two or three very good stops. Apart from his kicking, which used to be good, I am sure I remember David Ayer's kicking being good once. Let's just call him a little bit rusty. He hasn't played very much this season, has he? No, so, he hasn't. Um, what one interesting thing, you know, we talk about the the big men uh, against United, and actually United are a very small team mm. apart from you know Fellaini out front there, and and it kind of showed in the stats eight to twenty one aerials won. Um, so you know, do have a problem there. Uh, part of that, of course, is that they're 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 launching it long at Fellaini all the time. But they didn't. They did not do that. They they, they they sought him out in attacking in the attacking third, and I think that's part of the problem that uh, United's attack was a little asinine. You know, it. And I'm not saying they launched it. You know, Route One, David Moyes era. Uh, but they were against looking Swansea last ten minutes against yeah, Swansea. Right, you know that this was not that. But there is a temptation to go into him early, and he didn't win all those headers. But um, you know, and and defensively, United are just quite small, right? So you've got Smalling and Fellaini are the only two big guys in the in the team. Darmian's actually not short for a fullback, but there's not a lot there height wise, and so it is a vulnerability for United. But but defensively, very sound. You know, got those two shields, Schweinsteiger and Carrick. 
um, who provided very effective cover for United against the Liverpool team that didn't really want to attack. And, and talking to Schweinsteiger, his best game for United, I, oh. I think. Yeah, he was he was oh. in such control. Four out of the top five pass combinations involving him. Unsurprising. Got the got the good shivers when I think about Schweinsteiger in the second half of that game, in particular. In the first half, he was kind of part of the whole like let's keep the ball and not use it that brilliant but but at least he's looking forward you know he's he's got an attacking brain hasn't he like he's in I mean an attacking instinct he's wired to try and create but what a flipping player and and you kind of you want him for games like Liverpool at home don't you you want him for the big games and and uh, there's a photo doing around of him talking to Martial and just you know just pointing at his eye like keep your eye on X, Y, and Z. And it's just this thing of having Schweinsteiger around to help the kids is so vitally important. Before we move on from our back four altogether, though, another fine performance from both fullbacks. Luke Shaw, absolutely brilliant. And like definitely our best player in the first half, our most kind of potent threat, worryingly, in the first half. Damian, fantastic defensively, but he's got to do something about his crossing. You get Gary Neville there to coach him on how he improved as a crosser in the latter stages of his career because Mata's putting the ball in behind to Damian and Damian's just Valencia-ing it into the first man. Yeah, I, not all the time this season, but, you know, I I, uh, I agree in, in general. This is a, a weakness of his. Sure, interesting one because, I mean, he hasn't been reined in yet except for a couple of uh, games away from home where in the first half United haven't pushed the fullbacks forward. So um, generally speaking, his instinct is to go all the time. And sometimes he goes at the same time as Darmian. And that's, that will leave United vulnerable in in some games. So, you know, um, and I guess um, yeah, blaming Blint for the goals against Swansea is also good to remember that both goals came down United's right-hand side. And so it was sure has been fantastic this season. He's maturing as a player. He's a better player now than... When he was at Southampton, he's a great attacking outlet. United's only out attacking outlet at some points, and he goes all the time. But the the risk, of course, is that he does leave space behind, and and United will be caught in some games. So he's just got to learn when to go and when not to. But but two two fine points from United's team at the moment, the fullbacks. Yeah, Carrick. Oh, good good to see Carrick warming up into the season. Easily the best pass of the night, his uh, through ball for Herrera for the penalty. Yeah, be- beautiful pass and uh, smartly taken on by Herrera and definite penalty. You know, the player dived in when he didn't have to. And Herrera's never actually taken a penalty in a game before. He said he'd been training all week, though, and he knew he'd be the, the main penalty taker. So, Or had been told he would be one of the penalty takers. So he's been he's been training and uh, put it right in the top corner. He's in the weird Van Gaal penalty rotation system, isn't he? So he's ahead of Rooney because Rooney missed one once. Yeah, and, and, and Mata would have been the penalty taker, but he was off the pitch at the time the penalty came. Yeah, and they are just the same player, aren't they? They're just the same, you know, Mata and Herrera. They're just totally interchangeable on the pitch, off the pitch, two Fun-loving lads having a great time of it. Yeah, um, with De Gea, of course. We haven't we haven't talked about his contract. Maybe maybe let's finish the game first. Then we yeah, can talk yeah, about yeah. It. yeah okay. Big Dave's contract, but the three of them are back together. It's nice. They, Man United Twitter account having brilliant fun, sending uh, sending some friends of the Rankcast tweets, which was good. Um, but yeah, um, the the midfield worked very well. The defence worked very well. And finally, the attack worked brilliantly, or one of the attackers worked brilliantly. 2-0 would have really flattered United. Benteke joining the club of which Darren Fletcher is lifetime president of a scorer of amazing goals that will be forgotten in history because they came 
for the side that lost. What a goal! What 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 a goal! But it was above head height, and uh, <laughs> surely in the the Premier League's sort of rules these days, that should have been ruled out. <laughs> I mean, no, it shouldn't have been, and and uh, I, I'm uh, I'm Yankee chain, but it's you know, oh god, that would have been wonderful to rule that out. Can you imagine <laughs> Merseyside melting down? Nice to see a few uh, people give that applause in K stand. Do you think that is good? Even Liverpool game, uh, there's some sportsmanship in that crowd. No, it's ironic. <laughs> Maybe so. But what a hit. People talking about whether that's better than Rooney's overhead. And I think it's, uh, you could say it's kind of technically more perfect than Rooney's overhead. He addressed the ball more directly than, than Rooney did. Like Rooney definitely did hit it with his shin. Not that that's, not, not that he shinned it in, but you know. It wasn't, but Benteke got everything you're supposed to get on that, on that, didn't he? He got it very cleanly and it was past Dave before he could even react to it. The only thing I'd say about Rooney is the ball has come in a very long way from Nani and, and that's much more difficult to get hold of when it's swinging in like that from a long distance than than, uh, than Benteke's, which definitely wasn't. So, um, you know, I, I would still go for Rooney's as a, a harder one that he's managed to execute, albeit off his shin. <laughs> and, but superb, superb goal from Benteke and delightful to be able to just praise that goal without it having affected the outcome because we all know what happened next. And just, you know, that, that goal was important because it was important in the match. It's important because it's obviously a huge thing for Martial in his career. But it's also important, like, when we take on teams later in the season... It's quite good for them to know that he's got that in his locker because United are so easy to defend against at the moment. You kind of need defenders to be thinking about something other than just, oh, well, we just need to make sure we stand in the right place so they can't get any of these passes through. Right, yeah. I mean, before the game, I, I thought it'd be pass, 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 hoof, miss, right? <laughs> uh, and and that wasn't too far off the pattern for a long time. And and you're absolutely right. If, if Depay isn't going to be in great form yet, you know, he's the other player who's got pace in the attacking sort of third, then uh, Martial all of a sudden is going to be very crucial. And Van Hal at pains to suggest that, you know, he's a young guy coming from France and we shouldn't expect too much. He's going to be inconsistent, of course, but all of a sudden we know we can give a, a player the ball and he's going to run at someone and, and defenders will have to go a little deeper because they certainly didn't have to do that before. So, yeah, there's a plan B. And we haven't had a plan B other than lumping it for Laney's brush. Well, it's like a plan C, isn't it? Because plan B is firmly established. Yeah, well, plan A without Rooney, isn't it? So. <laughs> I mean, isn't it like so kind of the transfer window's been shut five minutes and Rooney, everyone's going, God, what's going to happen if Rooney gets injured? Then Rooney gets injured ahead of the Liverpool game. Really just remarkable timing. And what is going to happen is Fellaini's going to play up front as first choice alternative to Rooney. And I guess that will change throughout the season. But Van Gaal revealed this week there was a, a pretty telling a load, of, a load of stuff's happened in United-related news. I guess we'll come on to it. But Van Gaal was talking about the fact that Wilson is going out on loan. There's a recall clause, but uh, he wasn't on the bench because he's on his way out on loan. Uh, everyone thinks that's to Derby, but I don't think that's been confirmed yet. But that just seems like, OK, there's a recall clause, so there's there's some logic there. But, wow, what are we doing, you know? Well, 
Could United finish the season with a striker who doesn't have 10 goals to his name? No, because Martial's going to score 40 now. <laughs> I tell you what, Paul, if Martial scores 40, I will do something. Yeah. Something. Will you have Will you have Wayne Rooney's uh, overhead kick against City tattooed onto your left shoulder blade? Yeah, in henna. <laughs> yeah, N- nothing permanent. That would be very foolish. All right, well, in that case, it's going to be 20 goals. <laughs> That's going to be the... Because, you know... If it's just henna, 20 goals is fair, I think. There's no way Marcel's going to score 20. I'm talking about league goals. It's just not going to happen, is it? No, no, it's not going to happen. But, I mean, hey, I was half serious about the first bit. Uh, I, I mean, if Rooney doesn't get 10, wow. I mean, he was talking before the season about getting 25, so was Van Hull. So, but it doesn't look like he'll get anywhere near that. And we're, we're, we're only counting league goals, right? Not uh, hat-tricks he's scored against third-rate Belgian sides or penalties against San Marino. So uh, anyway, anything more to, to talk about in the Liverpool game? I mean, it's a, it's a fantastic three points for United. It's the uh, the old enemy beaten. They've lost two in a row. Brendan Rodgers is under pressure. He's obviously getting the boot before Christmas. And, and Van Hal's managed to win a game after the loss to get the ship steady again. Is, that's the summary, right? I, I think so. And, and, you know, to do weird role reversal where you just spill out all the positives and I kind of say, "Mm, but I'm not sure about this. I think it is really important to say that they're 45 minutes into that game. It really did look like every problem we all think is a problem with United was very much to the fore. And, and really what we kind of know about this team is they can still pull it out for the big occasions. And we're still going to be good against teams that want to have a go, but there are big, big, big problems in United's attack. Really big problems in United's attack. Really big problems, and and Van Hal's in complete denial uh, about it. I mean, total denial. I, I he's look, we've said on this pod before several times he's pretty straight. Um, so I don't think he's trying to pull the wool over our eyes. He he thinks he hasn't got a problem there, but he has got a problem because you know I, I, at this rate United will score somewhere but between 60 and 70 goals. I know they've just scored three against Liverpool, so that kind of sounds ridiculous, but it was from the only three shots they had on target. 60 to 70 goals will probably leave United around fourth. It's it's a really silly game to try and predict uh, your ending position from the amount of goals scored because it fluctuates quite wildly. But um, uh, let's assume that leaves them with a, you know, their, a kind of net positive goal difference in the, the low 20s or something like that. And it's going to be about fourth. Uh, which is, I suppose, where we expect them. But United cannot win the Premier League with so few goals. They're not going to score that many goals this season because A, the style, and B, they haven't got any strikers who are going to score those goals if the if the style's going to remain turgid. So it's I, I just it, it's frustrating because it seems like a really big blind spot. Yeah, and talking of Van Gaal being in denial, uh, it's a decent time to move on to United News. There's a wonderful, wonderful Vine doing the rounds of uh, Van Gaal shouting Lou Van Gaal's army, not in a car park this time, but in a press conference um, where he was talking about fan support. And I think this was kind of interesting and quite telling, actually, because I don't think he knows that fans are fed up with him. And it kind of was the same thing that happened with Moyes. It's a very different situation. And and by the way, I have to say, I'm actually not that fed up with Van Gaal. I think I've sort of taken a deep breath and realised it's going to be a long couple of years but they'll be left in a very good state. That's my kind of, we talked about this last week, but so it's not like Moyes in that situation, but it is like Moyes in the sense that because the home crowd will just get behind the manager and sing his name, the manager thinks he's got the fans on side, but 
he hasn't. The fans are are sick of it. They're sick of the football. You know, I don't even think it's really about winning or not winning. And obviously, it's a huge lift around the end of that Liverpool game. It's a glorious thing. But that stuff, that first half that Van Gaal was happy with, apparently, fans are, are really fed up. Yeah, well, the, the jeers were out at half time and there were, there were more shouts of attack, attack, attack. Right. So um, I don't think it's, it's not hyperbole to say that. Yeah, fan, fans are pretty fed up with the style of play. Um, I think that you'd be hard pressed to find too many fans who think that Van Gaal's philosophy or process or whatever the word is at the moment, um, it, it matches up well with what we kind of expect at United. And and I know that's kind of flippant, isn't it? To talk about the United way and all of that. But they don't match up well at the moment. It is a very strange kind of football to to bring to England, let alone our Trafford. Uh, but it's what we've got. And it doesn't mean that he can't win. I, I, you know, the point I was making a, a moment ago is I think there's a mismatch between... Uh, what his style of play is that he wants, and I think it's more attacking than he's got at the moment and what he's got available in the squad, right? So you want to play that style of football and you're Barcelona and you want to control, 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 then you've got something explosive in the final third and United don't have that. Um, so they've got a lot of slow in the final third, and which kind of means, feels to me like they just need to open up a little bit more. Otherwise, we're shooting for third at best and probably fourth. But I think that's what he's... You know, he sees this season as the season to bring through Martial, bring through Memphis. Next season, we've got the that pace that we need and they'll have had a season under their belts. And we see the difference between Luke Shaw, who was a Premier League player even, but the difference between him last season and the start of this season, the, the kind of difference a season at United can make to a player's development. Um, so, you know... Last season was the kind of stabilisation season. This season is the kind of progression and transitionary season. And next season's the one for Van Gaal. But, but I mean, that that's fine. But spending £250 million, you, you can actually spend some of that money on some finished products, right? So Sure, but such a huge chunk of that £250 million was on an absolutely finished product. Uh, the, the kind of, the, the player that... It looks like you would put that player into that side and it would transform it into a world-beating side. You know, if we were looking around the world, we never signed Di Maria last summer. We'd be thinking, oh, if you put Di Maria in United side, it's going to make a huge difference, you know, the way we've been playing so far this season. But, so a big chunk of that went on that and it just didn't work. And that's partly the manager's fault. I'm not excusing him totally from responsibility for this situation and and I think it could have been better but it's just really interesting because you were talking about the refusal to compromise on quality in the transfer window because if you do compromise on quality you end up progressively lowering the quality of the side and it almost feels like that's what's happened this summer they've just refused to compromise on quality up front because watching yesterday you think why don't we sign Benteke in the summer like it's 30 odd million quid which is more than he's worth but so what you know um, we we could really do with a striker like that in the squad. Yeah, I, I you know I, I guess we've discussed Benteke before. I'm not I'm not sure I feel he's the one because he's he's just not good all of the time, and um, and that would have been a problem. But but you're right, he's better than Fellaini up there, right? Isn't isn't he better than any of our strikers if really yeah. he's going to play like this? You know, right? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I think you know the challenge is of course the Liverpoolization of of the United squad. If you do compromise on quality, if you don't sign another worldie somewhere else or, or a player who could be a worldie, then you are progressively lowering the standard of your squad. Of course, you know, and it's very hard to get out of that. It's very very hard. You know, the 
the premium you pay to go from third to second and second to first is an awful lot, generally speaking, unless you have, um, uh, you know, some miracle like Sir Alex Ferguson <laughs> as your manager. <laughs> and the, I don't have that at the moment. The other thing about the, the spending is like, you know, you just said it. We see it all everywhere. He spent 250 million quid, but he just hasn't spent 250 million no. quid because like people joke about this net spend thing and it's become a ridiculous... <laughs> meme you can't talk about net spend anymore don't talk about spend fella but like if you're not considering the fact that 100 million quid's gone out of the club you know it, and let alone the fact that Rio, Vidic, Evra, Giggs, Skulls have all gone in the last couple of years as well. That's uh, that's fine so mon- money is the proxy we have for quality it's, it's a market it's not a perfect market and it, it's not transparent um, and there are a lot of variables that you don't have in any typical market right so um, it's not like you head into Tesco's and you want to buy a lemon and, and uh, the lemon at Morrison's is half the price because it's only got a two-year contract, right? <laughs> so um, I feel like you just let the lemon run down its contract and everyone loses there. Cause... Well, you can wait till the end of the day when they mark down the lemons <laughs> because they're out of date the next day, which is what Real Madrid t- tried to do with <laughs> their hair. <laughs> now, talk about this almost... Uh, and and uh, he's seen a cow and, and the, the grass was greener in, or whatever. <laughs> Ferguson tried to say a few years back. Uh, anyway, yeah, so it's not a perfect market. And so um, the price of a player is is not a perfect proxy for his quality, but it is the only proxy we've really got. So that's why net spend versus spend is something that's talked about because it's it's a, it's a measure of quality in and quality out. Um, of course, he's let a lot of players go. He let 15 players go this summer, brought in six, and, and he's actually got a very small squad as a result of that. So, uh, Which is why there's a feeling that he's... He's got a squad that's slightly imbalanced. It's got an imbalance of uh, either fit or quality central defenders and an imbalance of fit or quality attackers and like 18 central midfielders who are absolutely magic. It's brilliant, isn't it? It's not brilliant. Um, The uh, Van Gaal news train was rolling deep this week. There was the story that, shockingly, Wayne Rooney and Michael Carrick had talked as captain and vice captain had talked to Van Gaal about his training methods even though like the fact that this story was like sold as a kind of mutiny in the press in spite of the fact that Van Gaal had said the night before this had happened a couple of weeks ago Van Gaal had said the night before that Rooney's the best captain he's ever had both of them can't stop talking in the papers about how they're both happy to listen to the other one sort of thing it's clear that there isn't a full-scale mutiny against Van Gaal in the dressing room. Although there is uh, talk that that players were pretty unhappy about the way that Raphael and Johnny Evans's departures were handled. Yes, just shipped out. Uh, no, no, um, no long goodbye. No handshakes and all of that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, so look, this this talk of mutiny is obviously nonsense. It's much the same way in, in and Van Gaal called this one as well. Um, that there was an attempt to drive a wedge between Edward Wood and Van Hal over transfers. So it's it's kind of made up. Actually, the story that really should be doing the rounds in the papers is is United supporters feeling um, fed up with the style of play. And that, that just doesn't get the back pages because it's really hard. It's a kind of intangible, that one, isn't it? Yeah. Whereas uh, Rooney uh, supposedly arguing with Van Hal over style and tactics is is something much more meaty that you can get hold of and and it's just nonsense but that said i do tend to agree with gary neville's column in what was in telegraph this week uh, where he said there's just a few too many players that he's fallen out with valdez di maria rojo now 
and others uh, for it to be good news. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. So Ferguson fell out with plenty of players over the years. And, and generally speaking, they left the club shortly thereafter. But Wayne Rooney being the only one who managed to stay on, I think. But Van Hals managed to fall out with like five or six players and um, within the space of 18 months, which is interesting. And it's also 100% predictable, right? This is Van Gaal's entire career. You can find groups of people who will either say that Van Gaal is the devil or Hitler or one of the best coaches of all time. Javi saying this week that nobody appreciates Van Gaal when he manages them and then you realise afterwards what he did for you sort of thing. Thomas Muller and Bastian Schweinsteiger kind of absolutely love and adore him. And uh, Rivaldo thinks he's scum, you know. Who was it? Stoichkov. Stoichkov. Stoichkov would definitely full-on murder Van Gaal if he got the chance. Yes, yes. He's he's rent-a-quote when it comes to the I Hate Van Gaal club. Yeah. uh, Along with um, Tony, Luca Tony. But then Valdez thing is kind of interesting because uh, Andy Mitten was saying on the new WS podcast that Valdez just thinks they'll just make up because they do and he's not in the Champions League squad but he is in the Premier League squad Valdez it's kind of interesting yeah I think that's more to do with the amount of players that United could ship into the the B list there but yeah but you know he he could easily have left him off that list as well couldn't he you know if he wanted to um but anyway the that is definitely a problem that Gary Neville column though there's another problem with that column, and that is the kind of class of 92 mafia situation that we're all operating under, which is very confusing because Van Gaal has been nothing but supportive of Giggs. He's talked so highly of him in that same thing that he talked about Rooney being his best captain ever. He said he's bought Anthony Martial for the next Manchester United manager, Ryan Giggs. You know, he's very overt about the fact that he is training Giggs up to be the next manager. Yes, yes. So the class of 92 have an in rather than uh, the way they... um... They they did a Brutus on um, on David Moyes, right? So yeah, but I, so I don't quite understand why. I mean, I don't understand the kind of notion that they're trying to get Van Gaal out to get Giggs in because it's a season and a half, and Giggs could just do with the time to learn. Really, there's no rush to get rid of Van Gaal to get Giggs in, is there? Um, no, 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 no. That that's right. I mean, you know, Neville has a conflict here in that he's a United supporter, an ex United player, but he's also a a pundit, you know, and um, it doesn't make very good copy to be fully in praise of of United or Van Hal. So he's he, he he tries to make interesting copy. Uh, he also has a conflict, of course, in that he's an England manager, which is why he'll never say a bad thing about Wayne Rooney, even if Wayne Rooney pulls down his pants and takes a dump in the centre of the pitch. Yes, which is pretty much what Wayne Rooney does on the week. No, 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 no. No, we we missed we missed Rooney in that team. We missed Rooney in a way. Like Fellaini is definitely Fellaini's first touch as a centre forward was worse than Rooney's, which was quite impressive. And of course, let's uh, let's take a minute for a change to celebrate one of Wayne Rooney's more remarkable achievements. It's easy to be scathing about the fact that it came in two penalties against uh, San Marino and Switzerland. And and in a way, it, that is relevant from a United perspective because there was no return to form over the international break. You know, it was very much business as usual for Rooney. But to set that aside, to become your country's all-time leading goalscorer is an absolutely staggering achievement look how long that record has stood for and you know Rooney's declined as a player and and the way that the club sort of present him as an ongoing world-class player in the kind of Messi Ronaldo bracket really does rub me up the wrong way but 
the the fact is here was a kid that emerged onto the scene at such a young age and has has been so consistent for his country and never really done it in the 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 big stages in the latter part of his career but been in some pretty terrible teams in that time and has been incredibly effective in getting England to major tournaments which is something they haven't always been able to do uh, throughout their career and 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 you know it He's usurped another Manchester United man up there, and it's just more evidence that United players are crucial to the national team. And but I, I was I was surprisingly moved by uh, seeing Rooney score that goal <laughs> and, and his own reaction to it. You could see it meant everything to him, you know. Yeah, I I, I wasn't very moved mainly because I didn't watch either game. But hey, <laughs> look, it's a it it's a great record and a great achievement for him, of course. You know, and any international team top goal scorer and, and it's quite easy to criticize the record, of course, because um, you know, you can kind of paint him as being a flat track bully um and, and who's never really achieved anything in major tournaments, but but he's done it, right? No one else did. Gary Lineker didn't do it, Michael Owen Owen didn't do it, any of the others who came before didn't do it. So Rooney has. Um, and he's he's done it almost despite himself because for the last you know, sort of three four years he's had no pace and his first touch has gone missing. Yeah, I mean it's interesting to compare him to Lineker because you have to say Lineker had a better England career than Rooney. You know, so close in major tournaments and part of a re- a couple of really good sides. Um, but you know, as you say, he wasn't able to break that record and and Rooney was and Michael Owen burnt out and Rooney never has actually burnt out. There is a, a drive under Rooney's decline which has kept his head above water at a very high level of football for a really long time and you know his last major injury I think is a big contributing factor to all that's kind of gone wrong since and I I do think signing him up to a five and a half year massive contract was was a pretty serious strategic error by United. Mm, 196 weeks (laughs) left. But you know his his longevity for his national team so it's pretty, pretty darned incredible. And, you know, it's going to take a, I think I called it an M. Night Shyamalan level plot twist that he doesn't do it for United as well now at this point. Well, he, I'm sure he will. I mean, unless he does score less than 10 goals this, this season, then, you know, maybe he'll get shipped off. Although who would buy him? Maybe, maybe some crazy MLS owner. Uh, I think he, he will break the United record at some point. Maybe not this season, though. Um, and, and he's going to lead England into Euro... 2016, where he will score one goal um, against Scotland uh, as England head out of the the, uh, the Euros in the group stage. Talking of um, Euro 2016, do you uh, want to go back to the episode where I said Wales would qualify and you said they definitely wouldn't? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, they're not qualified yet. No, that's true. Uh, mind that's you, true. they do need a point and they do have to play Andorra at home. <laughs> so I think it's probably done. Yeah, and a hat tip to Wales. Um Gareth Bale, uh, Real Madrid's Gareth Bale, definitely not Manchester United's Gareth Bale. His agent saying this week he'll never leave, never come back to the Premier League. (laughs) Scum. (laughs) So, yeah, he's driven them forward and uh, what an achievement. Uh, Northern Ireland may well qualify as well. I mean, they're definitely going to make the playoffs by the looks of it in in an expanded uh, Euro 2016 and could have three home nations. Yeah, and I think it was a football ramble where they were pointing out that Wales, it looks like Wales would have qualified even under the old system probably by the end of this qualifying campaign. But I think they they made the, the really salient point that the new system definitely gave belief to some of the smaller teams that it was worth, you know, going foul for leather in all of these because there was a chance of getting there. Um, so yeah, it's been been 
been good good qualifying from that perspective. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely guaranteed that England will play Wales in the group stages, plus some dodgy Eastern European side and then one of the big boys. Um, <laughs> and, and England will need a draw against Wales and Bale hammer one home in the 89th minute and uh, send England home. So uh, one of the other things that happened in the news-packed week was that at 12.01pm, <laughs> Manchester United tweeted out that David Day had signed a new contract. Absolutely incredible banter from uh, from Old Trafford. suspect I'm not going out on a limb to say that you don't think that this means that David Hare will be our goalkeeper for the next five years. No, I don't. Uh, I mean, look, come on. Um, actually, let, let's hark back to a, an episode uh, a few months ago where I talked about uh, if the... the uh, the transfer didn't happen, that uh, it may well mean that United sign him up to a new contract and he stays another year. I think I articulated the reasons not very well in that episode, but I did suspect that that was an, a possibility. Um, they've done a Ronaldo-style deal. So actually, it makes perfectly logical sense for for De Gea to, to sign this contract. I mean, not only are they backtating the pay to when the negotiations began, um, it means he's going to make more than £10 million this year, plus an extra £10 million for the, the year and a bit of negotiations. Um, but it, it de-risks it. I mean, he's in an awfully risky position, not knowing whether Madrid will definitely sign him up, given that they were pretty sure they chickened out of it at the last minute uh, and, you know, taking a, a huge hit on wages. So he'd be effectively giving up something like £20 million and risking, uh, say, an injury, a Victor Valdez-style injury, and risking Real Madrid not signing him up. It's bonkers. I mean, you know, it would be total negligence for his agent not to push through a, a uh, contract sale. Uh, and, of course, for United, it makes total sense. They've locked him down and they can command a very large fee for him if he really wants to go. Although maybe he won't. Maybe he won't. Maybe he suddenly loves Manchester and didn't want to move all along. And uh, and Adene will be walking down the ship canal, humming along. Singing the international with Jeremy Corbyn. Ah, oh, yes, yes. If only United could find a decent left winger too. <laughs> um, it was a weird day. Like, it was joyous, obviously. Like, it's uh, as you say, it's totally logical. Makes sense for all parties. Who knows about the release clause? There's a story in the sun that there's a £30 million release clause in there, but, you know, I'm not sure you necessarily give that credence. Um, £30 million sounds a bit low to me, if they're, you know, if that's if that was a big sticking point in the summer, the, the fee. Um, but anyway, we'll see how it all plays out. Just brilliant seeing David De Gea, like, tweeting, oh, I'm delighted to sign this new contract. It's like, sure you are, mate. There's 20 million reasons that you're delighted to sign it, but I'm quite convinced you wanted to leave two weeks ago. Um, but he seemed to genuinely appreciate the fans and, and United made a big deal of it, uh, which I think was at Old Trafford, which I think is very, very smart from a kind of PR player confidence thing. The fans fully behind De Gea. I don't think, I think there's a kind of real politic to that. You know, it's not necessarily born of pure emotion, although, you know, he, he's a player it's easy to feel kind of positive emotions for because he, he, he's He's, we've seen him grow up and, and become this wonderful goalkeeper. And he didn't act up and all that stuff in the summer. But there is a kind of hard-nosed quality to it of like, yeah, we, we know you don't really want to be here, uh, but we're going to make it as nice as possible for you here so you do as good a job as possible. Yeah, something like that. Anyway, it's good to have him back in the team, even if he is a turncoat who wanted to join Real Madrid. At least it wasn't City or Chelsea. You know, this is the thing... Like, sorry to... 
to even bring this up really because I just get so much stick for it. But like um, people going, oh, you see, such double standards. Rooney did the same thing and everyone hates him. It's like he didn't do the same thing. Rooney wasn't trying to move back to the country he comes from to be with his family and loved ones. <laughs> you know, it's not the same. If you can't see why that's like has a different emotional composition, then I don't know. Anyway, um, uh, yeah. So uh, I think that, does that cover the United news? I feel like we're missing stuff. There was a, there was an awful lot that happened in that week. Yeah, I think that covers. Pretty much all of it. Wayne Rooney's international record, David Hare's new contract, Van Hal's bizarre press conferences. That's no way there. That's just a weekly occurrence, isn't it? Uh, Ferdinand saying that United fans will have to get used to watching United in the new way. I, I think we've worked that one out. Thanks. Thanks, mate. Hey, no, my mate Rio tweeted me so he did. He did. Been waiting he for did. that for so long. Made me so yeah. happy. He, he's still got a favourite though, which is... Uh, <laughs> You know which one. Yeah, we know that. Just have a look through Rio's photo. We can't repeat it on this family-friendly show, but if you're in the mood for some NSFW entertainment, have a look through Rio Ferdinand's favourites for Ed's tweet. So, United back in the Champions League this week and visiting PSV Eindhoven, uh, Memphis Depay, heading home where he'll find his level and score a hat-trick. Am I right? I mean, it's interesting because I don't think if there was a Premier League game coming next, I think Memphis might have to set, sit that one out. Um, and I think he might start young because uh, Memphis kind of needs, in a way, like I saw somebody say this on, on Twitter, I think, make make him earn it. He needs to work for it now because there is competition down that left-hand side and and he's not been playing very well. But you can't drop him for this one because A, you don't need to um, because... Uh, he obviously is very good against Dutch opposition, and and two, I think it'd be too much of a blow to drop him on when he's going back home to a team that obviously is very important to him. Yeah, no, what we don't know is whether he'll it'll spur him on to greater performances or he'll try a bit too hard, a la Rooney against Everton and Liverpool. Um, so uh, no, I, you can't drop him. Surely, um, he he scored twenty seven goals in Dutch football last year. Um, Mind you, uh, PSV Eindhoven in pretty good form this season, yet to lose, just won 6-0 at the weekend against Canberra, so uh, going great guns. A uh, few decent players. Struggling here because of the account of uh, doing an Alan Shearer and not actually watching any Dutch football, really. But Luke de Jong is their captain, we know him. Uh, Jetro Williams, the left-back who burst into the Dutch side at a very young age and didn't quite make it after that, we know him too. He's uh, he he got a heck of a lot of assists last season. He did, uh, yeah. I mean, he's still got bags and bags of pace. Uh, Jeffrey Bruma, we know him, the defender. They've got a, a chap called Davy Proper, who's a excellent named fella. Proper footballer, as you said. Proper footballer. They sold their two best players in the summer, and they've bought a bunch of players in, and it seems to be working for them in the Dutch league. But if we struggle with this one, uh, that's a, a real problem. We we definitely should be winning this. We need at least a draw, really. I reckon, given given the way it all shakes out, I think the the two games against PSV, even though they came out of pot one, might just be the easiest games, and maybe Moscow at home. But 
in theory at least, they, they should be an opposition that United looking to beat if they want to do well in this group. Well, let's let's make the assumption that actually some of the away games will be quite important for United because I, I think at Old Trafford, uh, teams will sit deep and narrow and just hit United on the break, you know, and it's the, the classic uh, formation and t- tactics and system that, that is going to be most dangerous to United at the moment. So um, I think actually three points would be very important in this game. I, I kind of always have viewed the Dutch league as just like one notch above the Belgian league. I know that's like deeply racist or something, but but basically it is, isn't it? You know, who was that fat Brazilian chap who scored like 97 goals in 12 games in Dutch football and joined Middlesbrough years ago? Uh, I, I thought you were talking about Ronaldo for a second there, but it was Alfonso Alves, Alonso Alves, one or the other. Yeah, no, th- there is a fat Brazilian chap um, uh, who, who was threatening to come back in the MLS or something like that last I had. I love original Ronaldo is just one of the all-time greats of all time isn't he what what a fantastic player he was and of course he started in Europe in the Dutch league uh, lots of plenty of very good players have come out of the Dutch league um and uh and you know it's interesting because it, it makes you think about Memphis because he's he's come over and and he has really struggled in a in a couple of games but but it definitely looks like there's a player in there doesn't there and 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 it it feels like it's not a huge leap to see him really finding himself. And, and inconsistency, as Van Gaal is so fond of saying, is a real quality of young players. You know? Yeah, very true. And, and he's just come over to a brand new country and he's young. And uh, of course, you know, I think his performance level is about what we should have expected, really. I mean, so so infrequently has a top player been found straight away when they're this young. But yeah, absolutely. In fact... Now and then. Now and then. At- and we'll move on to some Twitter questions. At Kieran Coyle asking whether we're concerned about Memphis at all. Seems to be finding it hard for form at the moment. Obviously, it's still early days. And yeah, I think that's, that is the absolute key. It is just still very early days. I'm, I'm certainly not really concerned about the long term with Memphis. No, that's right. Um, interesting facts about PSV Eindhoven. Um, I, oh, yes. I, 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 I don't know too many, but they've retired two shirts. Right. Number 12. Okay, who for? Representing the club supporters. Very nice. Very nice. Number 99, representing Foxy, the club mascot. (laughs) That's not acceptable. They didn't retire the shirts of any of their legendary players, just the mascot and the fans. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. It doesn't count if you retire the number 99 shirt. Nobody should be wearing number 99 in professional football. No, no. And uh, actually... Brings me back to United. Have you seen United's numbers these days? You you have already complained about this on the podcast this season, you know, Ed. Complaining about it twice makes it seem like, A, you're an old man for being annoyed about it, and B, you're an even older man for forgetting about it. Both may well be true. <laughs> Plus, I'm jet-lagged because I've just spent a week in California. I, I know you feel sorry for me. Yeah, then. it's tough, tough. Tough, it's boiling. Boiling at the moment. I mean, I know there's a drought on, but geez, I could have done with some like water spray. You were in uh, not the hot bit of San- of California either, right? So I, I was in uh, Marin, just north of San Francisco, and I was in uh, Silicon Valley Palo Alto area. Uh, both are significantly hotter than San Francisco normally because the weird microclimate they have there. But uh, so yeah, th- this is typically the hottest part of the summer for those two areas. 
Um, and it was it was very hot, but no, not not Southern Cali or out in the desert. All right, uh, at that Stevie. Next time on California Cast. <laughs> I like I like it when you go to places and then tell us about them. Ed, it's good. Um, at that Steve Gray says, uh, "Is Martial the new Rooney or the new Makeda? Uh, he's the new Henri. It's been well established." Uh, I like this question though. At M Siddiqui ninety six says, uh, "Did you go absolutely crazy when Martial scored? And which was the last?" goal that elicited similar euphoric levels yeah i'm not sure about the the second part of that question yes that said i had just returned from california uh, and so i watched the whole thing on delay um which is why i switched myself off from the internet and uh, yes i still went bonkers even knowing it was two hours later (laughs) i got a text from ed which is like i'm not watching the game don't tell me anything but i was thinking afterwards you should have uh, sent a message to the rank whatsapp group as well because you know, Tom might not have got the message, but it all worked out fine. I, I just totally lost it. I don't very often lose it at goals, but I totally lost it. My, my main response was just to laugh, just a, a joyous laughter at the incredible kind of genuinely like transcendent, intense joy of the moment. It was it was really incredible. And the second part of that question, the last time uh, that happened was when Juan Mata scored his goal at Liverpool last season. Uh, my reaction was very much like Ander Herrera's. Um, there's a brilliant picture of Martial celebrating with Herrera in the background. He's not doing the hands on the head things, but he's uh, he has gone got his arms outstretched and he just looks absolutely joyous. Herrera's uh, goal, you mentioned it was the first penalty he's ever taken. Um, and he just talked about like, as as a player, when you come to United, you dream about scoring in front of the Stratford end against Liverpool. It's like, that kid really understands football. <laughs> he really does, doesn't he? He really does. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Uh, at Pebble Smeller, a long-time contributor to Rankcast question bit, says, uh, did Martial's introduction remind anyone of Ronaldo versus Bolton all those years ago? Pretty sure uh, that, you have to. You're obliged to mention that when a young player comes and does well. Yeah, although though Ronaldo was actually got directly into the game and was very good for however long he was on. I can't actually remember now, but and and I've never watched that game ever again. I just have this feeling of being there and and him being absolutely blinding because I remember raving about him as soon as uh, soon as the game ended. But um, and, and Martial didn't do that. He just had that one brilliant moment. A heck of a moment it was too. Loads and loads and loads of questions, including one from at Beautifully Red, the aforementioned front friend of the Rankcast, who got a lovely tweet from the Man United Twitter account this week. He said, is it weird that my first thoughts about De Gea's new contract is how happy uh, it must make Juan Mata and under Herrera? And Man United sent him that picture of the three of them looking absolutely delighted. So lovely moment i was really happy for sean um but uh, loads and loads of questions on this theme which is has daily blint showed enough to be considered our first choice partner for smalling this season well well he's the only choice partner at the moment so uh, yes i guess so uh, marcos rojo is somewhere in coventry uh, with a whole list of other players that van hall has uh, fallen out of uh, favor with and, and phil jones is perennially injured and and there aren't any others um and then apart from paddy mcnair who apart from paddy mcnair it's worth saying um was the only link to that 78 year old record and and it's going to go this season it's going to be it? broken yeah. this season that's, yeah that's especially with james wilson going out on loan it will go this season uh, and cued by a whole bunch of coffee copy that's probably already been written about Van Hull tearing up United's history. Yeah, which I think is very unfair, actually. It is unfair because he's he's rebuilding the quality of youth in the United squad at the moment, but he's just doing it through acquisitions. Um, and he did give a lot of players a chance last season, 
whether they'll ever get it again, I don't know. So, uh, and he probably just doesn't think there aren't uh, there are good enough players in the uh, under twenty one side at the moment. And he did say uh, Pereira and Lingard will both get games this season. That, that's in his thinking. So that's interesting. Um, and uh, one last uh, one last rank cast question actually, which I think is a brilliant. And very interesting question. Uh, And it's from at Gigi Bambino. And it says, is our lack of cutting edge at the moment down to LVG's philosophy or the attacking players being out of form slash inexperienced? I think that is so important because, yes, Van Gaal's kind of obsessed with control. And yes, sometimes that makes the football a bit turgid. But he does not want it to be blunt. Van Gaal doesn't want the football to be blunt. He wants goals. Like, of course he wants goals. He wants to win games. And I think that second part is so important to consider. Uh, Yeah. Well, look, I I think we're verging on the binary there, though. So I think uh, the problem is that absolutely, of course he wants goals and he wants United to score more goals because uh, United are going to be more successful. Um, uh, The the problem is he just can't achieve it with the players he's got, right? So you can say out of form, but Rudin's been out of form for a very long time and he hasn't got any other options. And yes, he's got his other options are a couple of inexperienced kids. So I suppose that's true, that statement, but it's also a case of Van Hull not wanting to switch things around in order to open United up, in order to score more goals. Uh, So he's making a choice that he wants United to be solid first uh, and score goals second. Uh, yeah, I think that's absolutely right, isn't it? I think it is, as always, the answer lies somewhere between two polar opposites. Um, after we play PSV, we've got a, a... It's a slightly awkward one, isn't it? Because you've got a away, away trip midweek and then another long away... Um, it's like relatively short, but it's still European. But then a, a long a long away trip... Uh, nightmare for fans, of course, who go to both games. Uh, the UWS podcast from Swansea was very enlightening on that score. Uh, but yeah, a, a long trip down to Southampton after the European away. So um, we hope it goes a lot better than the Swansea game did. Well, yeah, quite. And, and Southampton mixed fortunes this season, haven't they? And, and not really a great start. Drew with West Brom at the weekend. So a pretty um, terrible start, I mean, you'd you, say, wouldn't you? Yeah, I, I, I mean. The thing is, you just didn't expect it because actually they recovered so well from losing loads of players last season. I didn't expect Southampton to have a poor start to the season, but they have done. Um, and, and I suppose it's two tough away games. We've got three reasonable home games, Ipswich, Sunderland and Wolfsburg. That'll be a challenge. October, mind you, if you want to talk about tough fixtures. Arsenal, Everton, Moscow, Manchester City and Crystal Palace and only the City game is a home game of all those. I, I hate to say this but because it feels a bit fate empty but aren't we loads better against quite good teams who want to attack us? I don't know whether loads better but a good record uh, in the last season or so, yes. So you know, maybe we shouldn't be worried but but still, a, t- a tough October. Um, anyway, back to Southampton, yeah. Um, look, either way, I don't think this is an easy game for United. Um, you know, Southampton still do have some quality players. They just they just keep losing players and maybe that cumulative effect is, is having an impact on them at the moment. Um, but United do need some results away from home. You know, 1-0 at Villa uh, this season, lost at Swansea. Uh, we're not counting Bruges because they're terrible. Uh, and so, you know, still, still not a brilliant away record this season. No, absolutely not. And and you know that this is going to be vitally important in the quest to pick up more points than we picked up last season, isn't it? Because that was where it all went wrong last season, really. 
Um, a couple of unfortunate home defeats, but generally an excellent home record, and just very very poor on the road. So he's gonna he's gonna have to get that right, and and to do so, I don't know. It's, it feels a bit counterintuitive in a way. You wouldn't expect this team. It seems to be set up to do quite well away from home, and I guess Southampton will be a good test to see whether they can get over the road blues and get used to the the travelling and stuff. But again, like thin squad, that that isn't good for the games coming thick and fast two long traveling away games it's not like you can play two different 11s in those two games is it no i mean it's it's tuesday night the the psv game and then sunday the southampton game so that that gives them a good break and then ipswich afterwards in the uh the capital one cup so you know uh, yeah uh, as two away games in, in a row going one of them being european that's not so bad no it could be worse so uh, we will um, reconvene before that Ipswich game and give you full in-depth breakdown of what everything that's going on at Ipswich Town ahead of that vital Capital One encounter. Listen, some of that might not be true, but we'll see. Um, before we go, we've got two games to predict. This is all new for us. It feels totally different again this season. Two games to predict between rank casts. Um, I think we're going to win 2-1 in Eindhoven and I think we're going to draw one all at Southampton. Yeah, do I think United are going to win in Eindhoven? Just I, I find it hard to predict lots of goals because it just doesn't feel like this is a United team that goes to score lots of goals. But still, um, it is Eindhoven and it is the Dutch league. So I'm, I'm going to predict um, hmm, a 1-0 win for United in uh, Eindhoven okay. and one all okay. at Southampton. All right, so we're both going with one all at Southampton. If uh, you feel like it, you might want to lay one all at Southampton because that's pretty... We both went for 2-1 against Liverpool and we were nearly right. But Anthony Martial ruined our day. (laughs) Never like that fella. I mean, honestly, like, what a fantastic moment in time that goal was. I put this on Twitter, but it was like, oh, good touch. Oh, great touch. Oh, my God. And just the kind of how it's obviously like it happens in an absolute flash but as it was happening like time just seemed to absolutely stand still as the kind of magnitude of it hit it was just brilliant and the limbs in the Stretford end I I wish I'd been there but just to see see it on telly United goals don't generally get reacted to like that it was like one gigantic away end in that moment wasn't it very good, yes. Uh, one one more goalgasm all round, I think, that one. <laughs> oh, yeah, Tyler fully lost it. Fully. Oh, yes! <laughs> Martin Tyler, not a man that Manchester United fans generally consider to be supportive of them, but I think that's proof if proof were needed that Tyler just loves narrative. Um, so, yeah, brilliant moment. And we beat Liverpool again, 8-2 on aggregate, Van Gaal's. Uh, got over Liverpool and then 3-1 in that stupid International Champions Cup thing. But yeah, 8-2 in competitive games against Liverpool. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. Yeah, um, especially coming back after that that miserable defeat against Swansea. Well, very good. That's it for this week. A, a long podcast and uh, I'm going to get to my bed and have some sleep post jet lag, I think. All right. Uh, uh, we'll be back with you <laughs> next week. And uh, in the meantime, you can abuse Paul at 
UTD Rancast on Twitter and you can like tweet me nothing because I haven't tweeted anything all week at United Rant. Yeah, facebook.com slash United Rant for both of us, unitedrant.co.uk slash tip jar if you want to chuck us a few quid and um, if you have any sound production needs uh, you definitely, definitely, definitely want to hit up at Teej Sound on Twitter. Producer Tom does a sterling job on the Rantcast each week. For that we thank you Tom. He does sound production, you could say. <laughs> Good, I like it. See you next week.